we're about to start the negotiation and we were go- going to present our facts on why they need to reduce the prices, etc. He pulls up something from, from his uh, pocket and, and that's a button, a, a bullshit button. So when you press it, it says, that's bullshit. <laughs> and I mean, taking that up, the first thing you do at an annual negotiation, I, I think that was rather funny. So there we go. Yet another episode of the Goldcaster. Um, together with us today, we have an uh, interesting uh, guest that we are going to introduce in uh, just a few seconds. But uh, first of all, for you who are new into this podcast, this is the Goldcaster. And ambition with this podcast is to speak about money, growth, new markets, and uh, profits in the foundry industry. We hope that you will enjoy this. And especially, there are no technical details in these comments. We just want to talk about how you make money in the foundry. And especially, the main thing is, you produce the castings and then sell the castings. And today, we're going to take a peek on the other side towards the people that buy the castings. And we're so happy to have you here, Gunnar. Why don't you introduce yourself? Thank you very much, Fabian. Uh, Well, uh, I'm a 55-year-old Swede with uh, almost 30 years experience of strategic sourcing and material management from uh, both automotive and telecom. Uh, I live in the suburbs north of Stockholm with my wife and three children. And as they are very much into sports, uh, everything from ballet to uh, band and track and field, I spend the evenings as a, a driver, getting my kids back and forth from the activities. So that's the second career. <laughs> that's the second career, but it's it's not paid at all. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so just a taxi driver for all the sports and leisure locations. Exactly. And yeah. uh, starting January next year, I will uh, work as an independent consultant in my own company, Eertsviken Consulting, and supporting clients uh, in the areas of, of sourcing and material management. So that's mm. short about me. So, so we can conclude that you are from the dark side. Uh, we we try to speak about profits here, but uh, you know, in the foundry industry, every time you invent something and you feel that, yeah, I'm going to get rich, you're happy until you meet sourcing, right? Could be, but I, I would say that uh, from a company perspective, every penny that you save on buying things is direct on the bottom line. And that's true. That's true. Myself, I started off as a, a strategic uh, uh, purchasing guy. Uh, was probably the worst one because it, uh, I didn't have the energy for the details. But but coming to the details, we would like to ask you questions that we think that our listeners would like to ask, but they don't dare to. Uh, because again, uh, <laughs> take the picture right here, but but you kind of represents the dark side <laughs> in many negotiations. <laughs> Not pointing you out as Darth Vader or something, but but you you know what I mean. Um, I'm I'm almost flattered. <laughs> you're almost flattered. Yeah. So, so let's hit it with some questions, and then we we'll see where we end. Um, sure. If one wants to become a supplier to a, a big company, 
I mean, you work for Ericsson and Scania and others. Is there a golden path that one should follow to 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 actually make it? And and what would you feel would be the key points to, to actually become a supplier if you are not a supplier? Because introducing new suppliers in big companies is is a is a nightmare or at least complicated. So so could you kind of elaborate around that question for a little bit? Yes, that's true. I mean, it, it takes time uh, to introduce a new supplier uh, in big companies, and and it's much easier to work with the ones that you already have. So I think the first thing you should do as a supplier is to do an investigation. What is the customer's view about their current supply base? What are they missing? Some kind of of a price. Low price or price rabbit? Are they missing technology? Are they missing capacity? Are they missing uh, country written geographical location? What is the key for the supplier, and and what can you offer in that area? Interesting. Do you have something like a guide how to find out these things? Is it picking up the telephone and trying to call the buyer, or is there something more to it? That's one way. I, th- I think picking up the phone, making a phone call is much better than sending a mail. And, and uh, ask for a meeting where you could be able to present your company, what you can offer, and also try to get some information uh, what the customer would like to have. I, I think too seldom uh, it, it's the communication starts with what would you like to have? What kind of supply would you like to have? And can I offer anything in that area. That's an excellent point that you already made. You want to be a supplier that the customer or the purchasing organization buys even more castings from. Yes, because if if there is a a need from the customer, it's much easier to become a supplier. And, And you have a wish from both sides to engage and do business. Are you saying that people are putting this question to sell them, that they don't ask. Yes. One might wonder why. Are, are they afraid to, 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 to be seen as information seeking or, or uh, isn't it in the culture of, of, of casting at all to do that kind of business development or, or why? I, I, I think so. I think sometimes maybe uh, the suppliers do believe they already know what the customer wants. Uh, that they are not open-minded enough. That might be one thing. Uh, another thing is, as I said, coming only requesting information might not be the best way either. Uh, you need also to be able to offer something and, and to have done some pre-work. I mean, you probably uh, know someone that uh, is uh, delivering to that customer already. Uh, maybe in other areas, other commodities, and you can ask what what are they looking for in in one commodity? It might be similar in another commodity. And if you engage with that supplier, you're not competing with each other. Would it be fair to ask you, Gunnar? I mean, you you bought castings for billions and billions. <laughs> Would it be fair if I state like this? The casting industry has too few business developers and businessmen. Would you agree to that statement? Yes, uh, I would. Great, because we claimed that in one of the podcasts. <laughs> I think we claimed it several times. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but it, it goes like this, that 
we believe that okay, the casting industry is in a turmoil right now, and, and we see big changes, uh, regulatory things that uh, you're banned for selling diesel engines for 2035, cooling medias. Uh, you have the CBAM coming up. There's a lot of things happening. Uh, we see China going very strong, and now we invest in Europe. So, so the clouds are there. I mean, it's it's not super super easy to to be a, a foundry nowadays. They had a good development from 1976 up to Dieselgate, more or less. <laughs> one of one of the claims that we make in this podcast is that instead of buying a new machine or a new milling station, buy some people that actually could start to look around and, and develop the business. Yeah, I think I think you need to do that. Uh, then you, of course, need to have the machines because, especially in telecom, if, if you quote for something uh, and, and you win the, the business, we would like to, <laughs> the telecom customer would like to have delivery more or less the day after. You cannot start buying a new machine after you win the business, then it's too late. And you will not manage the lead time for a project, and, and the business window is gone. So you need, of course, to have capacity, but you need to package what you offer in a good way. Great analogy. So if someone picked up the phone from a foundry, called you as a purchaser, and we're sitting in the room, what would be something that really surprised you in a positive way? From, from a new one. I, I would be positive if, if they already from the beginning could have a good presentation what their capability were and what they could offer me as a customer and, and how they would realize that in a good way. And, and, but, I mean, the only way to really impress and, and really to make a, a buyer happy is to be competitive. So that's and number A, A1. That's number A. And, and I mean, you, competitive price is, of course, number A, number one. But then, then you need also a lot of other things. In the, you need to have a flexibility, especially within telecom, where you have uh, gone from, from a low mix, high volume to more high mix, low volume, and very short life cycles. Uh, and quality. Quality, uh, you need to have a zero-fault mindset. Yeah, that's definitely needed for many castings that is fault tolerance is zero because you don't want to deliver bad castings to a customer and then have them sent back. But how is no, that I'm... possible in telecom where you don't have any mechanical properties uh, requirements that are, they are like this, you know, if I to be a little bit aggressive, the yield strength of what one hundred? Yeah, is mean, it just the casting the functionality of the casting? It's a functionality. I would like uh, also to say the surface. Mm -hmm. uh, then you have uh, weight is is a key, uh, low weight of course, and and then you have very high and, and thin uh, uh, fins, mm. uh, thermal conductivity. Uh, and, and a few other things. I, I think what we have seen, what I saw when I was working at Ericsson, and I had meetings with automotive suppliers, die-casting companies supporting automotive customers, was that they did not really understand that it's quite a big difference between automotive and telecom. Oh. So they were looking into how to please an automotive customer. 
And that's not really the same thing as how to please a customer within telecom. Then we're back at the beginning. What you said is that yeah. you have to understand what the, is the need of the buyer to get a sale done and not just mm. think, ah, I know already how it works and then do the same for everyone. Yeah, correct. But, but I think we need to magnify the difference between automotive and telecom a little bit. Understood perfectly what you said, but we have our background. So to pinpoint the difference between telecom and automotive, starting lead time, for example. I mean, how long is the PPAP in telecom? Yeah, I mean, fr from uh, an award to first delivery, uh, bid good samples that will pass, I would say, three, four months, ideal. That's fast. Yeah, that's, that's basically fast. the tool making time. Yeah. It's basically the tool making time, yes. And when you, to be clarified, because 80% of our listeners are automotive guys, uh, to the first delivery of samples, these samples are your prototypes then? The prototypes are out of the casting tool. They are machined, they are surface treated. And then you use it for the verification of functionality of your product. Correct. And how long and does that take? It, it varies. And, and the problem is that if we, uh, we can also send these What, what uh, samples that we get from you, use that in pre-series that we send to our customers. So the quality needs to be there from day one. And, and I, I think what I've seen when we introduce new suppliers is that we put too little time in the early stage of the project. In DPRs, etc., they can discuss, can there be deviations? Do we understand all the specifications from both sides? Are there any unclarity? Because in the early stage, we might be able to do some modifications of a drawing. But coming back after three, four months saying that, no, we cannot fulfill the requirement, that's not good. And, and so, if you do that, I mean, for, for a first, your first chance as, as a supplier to, to the telecom customer, you, you probably not get the second chance. Would you say that telecom is making changes in the preferred supplier list more frequent than in automotive? No, I, I would not. Probably will, not, not from, from an uh, idea to just shift supplier, but maybe from the point that the product life cycle is shorter. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> so there are more risks being a, you, you can be challenged more often in telecom than automotive because automotive platform is seven years. Uh, telecom is, I'm guessing, three years. So It, so, it so. can be everything from, from uh, one to four years, four or five years. Mm. It depends on uh, the volume, how well perceived uh, the final product is by the operators. So if the operators are buying it, yes, fine. But if they are not, It will not be so high volume. So it, it's mm. a, a rather big risk or opportunity, uh, I would say. Uh, you don't know the volume exactly. It can be both higher and lower. Mm -hmm. So what you're saying is that forecast quality is, is lower in telecom. It, it's, it's more a guessing game than automotive. Yes. Automotive is pretty yes. stable, I would say. Mm. I, it is. But coming back to it, so you deliver a, More or less the, the tool production time from nomination, and then you do some samples, you send it to Ericsson in this case, or, or maybe Nokia, there are more than Ericsson. Uh, and then you do a verification, which is what, a couple of months? A, a month, Prox, I would say. A it month. depends on, on uh, yeah, something like that. <laughs> and then you, then you push the green button and say, deliver. 
Yes, volume. and then we won't deliver the day after. And you don't know exactly how the forecast is? No, and, and I mean, the ramp up is digital from one to, from zero to one. Mm. And, and once the product is approved, we would like to sell it to the customer. And, and the more we can sell in the beginning, the better it is because then we are before the competition. Mm. But if, if you're waiting too long, competition will have a similar or, or better product and then we miss the market window. So it's completely different than automotive, where it's a yeah. usually a, a slow ramp up until everybody said, okay, we have a look at it. Wait a bit before there's the first discount on the car. In telecom is basically be the first one and sell as much as possible from the beginning with a lead yes. time of five, six months or three. I, I, can, I can imagine that automotive foundries have a, a problem. Because if you look at the typical tier one big project, I happen to be sitting in a few of those. In February, uh, we had tech technology meetings and they said, okay, we are in a hurry because in February 2024, we need samples. Those samples are going into A, a samples and then B samples to, to summer 2024, mounted into a car, driven around to 2025 to start somewhere in quarter three, quarter four, 2026. That's a typical tier one project. I mean, from nomination, you have, what, two years, three years to buy equipment, uh, people, a new factory. I mean, it's pretty much long times yep. you usually you're looking at. Three to four years before SOP, you get yeah. the drawings and you can have a look at it. Uh, and, and you have the wonderful specification creep that starts the day after the nomination. So... <laughs> You you kind of feel that you you're selling a I don't know a Christmas tree, and in the end it looks more than a electric guitar. And then I mean for there's also another challenge. It's that uh, for telecom, the die-casted part is usually used for some uh, protection or, or uh, heat uh, thermization dissipation. So if there's some problem with electronics you might have to change the mechanics. Mm. So there might be changes during very late in the product development that you need to cope with as well that might require changes on the die casting too. Yeah, but but do, you think, do you think some of this will influence over to the automotive industry? I mean, <clears throat> Fabian, their Fabian is, is driving a Tesla. And I heard rumors that you are getting a Tesla in a few weeks too. Uh, actually picked my up uh, yesterday. Yesterday. Uh, and, and I love my diesel. I had to sell it. Now I have sort of a hybrid car. Yeah. Mm. But I, li I, I like gasoline. Uh, but my point it's, it is... It smells different. <laughs> it smells different. The, the, the sound is better. It's like a shotgun and a rifle. Yeah. Uh, the, the thinking I had was, do you think we will see a development in the automotive? Because automotive is going more and more into software. So, so it might be that they will be quicker. And, and that's one reason. The second reason is you have, what, 150 or 125 producers in China. Uh, we have a few in, in, in uh, Europe, but we have a, a bunch of new brands in the US. For them to compete, they must be more like a, a telecom company. If they don't hit the window, they're lost. Probably, yes. I would awesome. say so. Then it, then it comes, how much can you do with modularity? I think the modularity is key for for 
not only the customer, but also the supplier. Because if, if you can use the same bolster for two different parts, just change the inserts in, in a way, you might be able to do a quicker MPI of a product mm. if you can reuse a bolster. Would you say that to be successful in telecom also that you need maybe to get nominated for more article numbers because you don't know who will be the winner and who will be the, the low runner? Yes, it, it, ideally you would have a few part numbers on, on different platforms mm. just to, to uh, mitigate the risk. What is a platform? A platform is, is uh, a radio module or, or a baseband module mm-hmm. uh, that you develop, and, and then you do one version of it, of it, and then you have different frequencies, you, some spin-offs of a platform. Mm-hmm. So uh, you might target a suburban area, you might target downtown with another platform, uh, and, and, uh, or long distance or coverage. It depends on what you target. Uh, for a platform. And then, of course, as you know, there are different frequencies uh, around the globe. Uh, when I started Ericsson here uh, around the year 2000, we had four frequencies that I was working with. Now it's, it's uh, 30 plus. Mm. 30 plus. So you have radio filters for all frequencies? Yes. Oh, thank God I'm not working at Ericsson anymore. <laughs> I can count to three, you know, four, and then it starts to become... <laughs> Okay, let's change the subject a little bit. Imagine <laughs> nightmare uh, that me or Fabian would be appointed CEO of a nice foundry group, turning some 200 million euros or, or I don't know, sizable. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have Ericsson as a customer or, or yeah, some company you've been working for. What is the worst thing we can do? What, is, what are the big no-nos? Because all new CEOs want to make an impression, right? <laughs> uh, not keeping commitments. Okay. That's simple. Yeah. I mean, if, if you promise something, yeah, you should keep it. So do not overcommit. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's basically good advice for everything. Deliver what you tell. To I was do. thinking about my marriage. <laughs> 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 Another thing that I hear, <laughs> guess from where, but, but from many places, is that, yeah, we have a solution. They have to buy it. So I, put the, I set the price myself. How how does a sourcing organization react to a thing like that? Because it must happen sometimes that in your career that you had to purchase, but it was like 200 Swedish kronas instead of what it was worth 50, but you had to do it. Yes, I mean, uh, that happens. Uh, and short term, it might be good for a supplier. But I mean, as a sourcing person, you dislike that a lot. And, and uh, you do whatever to try to redesign, introduce second source, or, or uh, something like that, to 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 not to make sure that that you get away from this, and and not only get away from this product, but most likely also get away from this supplier. So the trust is gone. So the trust is gone. So perfectly. Mm-hmm. So Stefan, we as new CEOs of our foundry group learned that we definitely shouldn't make phantom pricing. With when we find a niche. But let's spin it around. What is something that we could have done that would have been a very big impression on you as a purchaser? I think then it's not only one thing. I mean, it's it's a lot. It, uh, it's a total picture of a supplier. Uh, I, I mentioned earlier 
competitive about price. Uh, I'm, I mentioned the quality, short lead times, keep commitments. And, and I think one thing that's often forgotten is communication. Try to do a call on, on a weekly or bi-weekly basis, regardless if there's problem or not. Just to check if everything is okay, if there's something uh, cooking or, or something that could be improved. By doing that, I think that one could avoid a lot of, of uh, problems later on. Mm. Early warning. Uh, early warning. I mean, if, if you foresee that I might have problems uh, a month from now with, with this product due to that uh, I don't have the capacity, what can be done? Can we pre-deliver? Can we uh, short temporarily another sub- supplier deliver a little bit more for, for a week or two that you focus on others or, or what can be done? I think Openness, early warning. I think the communication is is often forgotten. And now you're speaking about a real call or a cup of coffee or not just an email or. No, I, I think uh, ask for for a, a short. It doesn't have to be face to face all the time. I mean, some team meetings just take 15 minutes to check or, or just give a. Don't even have to be teams. Just a call. How's life? What's cooking? Is there anything good for pre-information that you can give me? Maybe that volume will increase or, or decrease shortly or, or uh, will it be a design change or whatever. Uh, I think communication today, it's very easy to hide behind mails. Mm. And, and I, I don't think that's, that's so good, to be honest. Yeah, also, this amazing thing with communication is the more you share, the more you get back and it's like yeah. a flywheel mm. that brings you really in dialogue and that constantly. So that should also help you with the next project coming up. Yes. And and I mean, every now and when, then, I mean, you run into problems. But be open about that. With early warning saying that you have a delay. This is uh, the reasons. This is what we are doing to try to, to mitigate it and, and to catch back. Uh, but we need some help from you. We need maybe a guy from you helping us. We need another uh, spin of the DPR or whatever. I mean, but be open. Don't try to hide things because the worst thing as, as a buyer is surprises. And, and surprises usually is a decommit. Mm. And, and if I could get that information a month earlier, I, I could have sorted that out. But if I get it the day before, or, or sometimes I, I, I've seen actually that I get it the day after, I call a supplier and say that you were supposed, we were supposed to get the delivery from you yesterday, but we didn't get it. Well, no, you know, I, I have some problems. Uh, you will probably get it next week. But then, I mean, if, if it's a trial, we have all the people standing there waiting. So what to do? I'm just sitting here reflecting over my years when I was some sort of a key account in automotive to a big tier one company. If I would have called and said, you know what, in three weeks we have a problem because of ABC. It it would have taken 15 minutes and then someone would probably start to scream at me in a phone. And after four days, they probably send a so-called consultant that they will charge for that would sit in our conference room and shout at our personnel. So what I'm pointing out here, this is one of the biggest 
biggest differences between telecom and automotive. In telecom, I claim that the OEM and the supplier has a mutual interest of deliveries and try to solve the situation. In automotive, it's a one-way street. You should deliver. If you don't deliver, someone else has to deliver. You cost us a lot of money. We send a consultant to you. And guess what? Your rating goes down two notches directly. Regardless if it is a flooding, a volcano, an earthquake, uh, the Chinese government uh, puts off the electricity for a week. Doesn't matter. It's your problem. Yeah. And, and I mean, that's also something that you should try to work together prior to that. What's the risk mitigation plan? What if there's a flooding? What if there's an earthquake? Uh, what backup solution do you have? How do you mitigate that risk? Uh, but uh, as long as, when, when I was uh, within sourcing, as long as I got the feeling that I was the most prioritized customer, I was happy. I mean, problem can occur. But if I know that the supplier is doing its utmost so to solve the problem, don't spare any resources, I mean, then good. Then we have to do it together. But if there's a decommit due to that we are not prioritized, then I will not be happy for sure. And that will show in the next round of nominations. It will be shown earlier. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> and for you international listeners, that happens to not be from Sweden. You should know that Gunnar Wallin and stuff, we're Swedish guys. You can hear it on the Swinglish. And when we are really angry, we look like this. Yeah. We go silent. We don't shout. Uh, so, so that could be a little bit of culture shock for the poor <laughs> poor guys trying to sell to Nokia and, and, and Ericsson, I guess. that <laughs> They don't understand where people actually are angry. But maybe no, they so do. We are, I don't and know. They, are, they are usually not very happy either. I mean, they are something in lagom. It's a good Swedish word. Yeah. Yeah. We're the only country with middle fat level of milk. Others have light milk or normal fat milk. In Sweden, you have 1.5% as well. Yeah, it's a kind of awkward country, but we have we have our perks as well. So getting back to it, you conclude that there is a major difference between uh, telecom and automotive. Uh, the speed, uh, the culture, uh, the cooperation climate. I mean, that sounds brilliant. If you've been harassed by the automotive for 25 years in your life, why shouldn't you go to to to, to the telecom industry? So, so here comes the first question about telecom, the changes in telecom. I mean, in a couple of years ago, 80, 90% was made in China, right? Yes. I claim that there is a big swift towards more regional sourcing uh, like uh, Mexico, uh, Europe, and not talking only about Ericsson, I'll talk about, yeah, you know, the connects to Ericsson too, that happens to be our customers. Do you agree that this is a trend? I, I think it's a trend not only within telecom, I think it's a trend globally uh, with the trade restrictions that we see right now between US and China, for is one example. Mm. Uh, I mean, there's a lot of power tool suppliers uh, that are moved manufacturing also from China to, to other countries. So it's not only telecom, but uh, for sure uh, that trend is ongoing, yes. Mm. So basically now your address becomes an asset if you try to get a way in. Yes. How is the CBAM thing uh, considered within telecom? The carbon dioxide uh, tax upcoming 2026? I I think it's as important. I mean, uh, from, from Ericsson, we are pushing our suppliers to be carbon neutral 
and and that's also actually in our uh, agreement with them for, for being a supplier. Uh, so I think it's important. Then I think that other industries might be a little bit ahead of us uh, looking into that, but that that's also one thing. And 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 if you look in in the trade and and uh, the carbon and others, I think that is pushing for regionalization. I would beg the and, and you also have sorry for interrupting you, Stefan, but you also have lead time. Yeah, I mean, if if flying costings is extremely expensive, and then if you take them by boat from China to Europe or from China to US, I mean, uh, that's eight weeks minimum. Train was an uh, alternative from from uh, China to Europe earlier. Of the three routes and and the two goes through Russia and one through Iran, so um, probably not the best right now. Uh, you might have some speed boats, uh, non-stop boats that that are uh, could be interesting. But but when you have production in in Europe or or in uh, Mexico or or elsewhere, shipping from China to these regions take a lot of time, and that's not flexible. And telecom requires flexible suppliers. So I think all of this is, is driving regionalization. Then it's, uh, from a price perspective, I think it's uh, extremely uh, difficult to compete with the Chinese vendors. But How think... is that possible? I mean, if, if, if we stay on that for one minute, uh, if, you, if you buy an LK machine or a Yusubi machine or a Bühler, the... the lower cost brand they have, is it Karate or something? It's pretty much it's almost the same price if you if you take it out per shot in a casting machine. An yeah. engineer in Shanghai is actually more expensive than an engineer in Sweden right now. Yeah, I think that the competition in China is fierce. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, I think that has low bit of margin. And also when you look at the suppliers, the investment philosophy is different. In in uh, Europe or, or uh, Americas, I would say that you first get the order and then you invest in machine. In China, is is the opposite. First, you do invest in in all the equipment, and then you chase business. And and if you have all the uh, machines, I mean the idling cost is is huge. You are very eager to get business, mm. and and you can deliver quickly. Because you have all the capacity already, so I think I think that's a few reasons why why uh, the Chinese vendors are, are so competitive right now. But they are investing in Europe now. I mean, we see is it Qingchong in Hungary? We see uh, I think it was official that uh, another was it Millison. Uh, we hear about more and more Chinese companies that are and made plans and took the decision to move into especially Eastern Europe. Uh, how, if you were running a farm in Europe, how would you regard these investments? I think it cannot be neglected. I think they don't really understand uh, Europe, to be honest. Uh, I mean, there's different uh, running a, a production facility in, in Europe versus China, but uh, they have the knowledge of manufacturing, they have a knowledge of, of uh, design, uh, and and uh, they know how things are done. So I think, uh, long run, I think it will be a fierce competition to to uh, the European suppliers. Especially if you yeah. compare it for the automotive sector, many parts are lost because 
powertrain parts for diesel engines or any engine are not needed anymore if you go for the electrification. So they have very much open capacity now mm. for the next few years. And if there's competition from Asia coming in, I think that will be something that has an impact on all the foundries, especially prices dropping. So you have to be aware how to get your margin. Yeah. The question is, if I had to make a claim here, see what you two guys says, but I, I claimed like this. Chinese fund group has more businessmen inside it than a European. Business development, taking care of customers, being a little bit more proactive. Probably also how mm. you, if you have the capacity already, as Gunnar said earlier, you're way more eager to get mm. things done. Because they every do time. The extra phone call. Exactly. And especially if you want to do a new project and you need to invest, and then you have to wait for the confirmation from a customer that you have to offer. And then you have to go back to your board and hopefully nothing changes from the first time you presented it, that they give you the money to invest and then you have to build up everything, buy the mm. machines, train the people. You can do that if you have a three-year lead time for automotive. But if you mm. have the time to buy a tool and do one sampling maybe before you have to deliver, that's not possible. So they are better businessmen. But this time and age... <laughs> Yeah, I mean, if if you look at the capital earlier, at least early in China, I mean, in it has been much more capital available mm. in China for sure. Yeah, show me a foundry in Europe that has a good uh, solidity or a, uh, a nice cash flow. Show me one. I can tell you one. I, I guess, I guess, and I believe that Huntman has it because it's the most profitable foundry we have in this region. But the others, the the nine hundred others, or whatever, how how many they can be. It's hard to get profitable if you have something like a one to five percent profit margin. Yeah, but then we come down to the key question, right, Fabian? So, Gunnar if you are going to, you have to work in the foundry industry. You yeah. don't need to be a foundry. You can be a supplier to the foundry or whatever you like. What would you pick to be profitable, as much profitable as possible? How would you do? What would you do? I, I think that if, if you look into medical, I think you have an opportunity, uh, not so big serious, but they are not so price sensitive. Uh, then, of course, with, with the, the current situation in the world, with, with the Russia invasion of, of Ukraine and, and uh, what's ongoing right now between uh, Israel and, and Hamas. Uh, I mean, if, if you look into... Industries like like uh, Bofosh uh, and others, I think uh, that industry is, is moving. Mm. Uh, unfortunately, I, I would say, but I mean that that's uh, probably not surprise sensitive as well. Uh, I, I think that automotive and telecom are rather price sensitive, uh, and and there are different challenges with that. Telecom, if you do things right. I still believe that you can be profitable. I mean, from from uh, when I was in sourcing, I don't want to work with a company that do losses all the time, because long run, that supplier will not have a possibility to invest in new equipment or or new technologies, and 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 will not put in the extra resources that I would need. Mm. So I, I I as a sourcing professional, I would like to have my my suppliers to do black figures, probably not double digit, 
uh, but, but <laughs> at least on, on, on the positive side. You want them to be hungry, then. Yes. Healthy and hungry. Healthy and hungry. I mean, yeah, uh, but to conclude what you said there, you would actually go for uh, high bakes, low volume then. I, I think so, because um, I don't know it in telecom is not so much high volume. And and, and uh, the problem with high volume is that the, the competition is fierce. Mm. You go, you sneak under the radar if you do those uh, 25,000 shots for a medical equipment manufacturer, for example. Yeah. yeah, the big ones are not interested. And especially if you're doing these large series, there's a different point of view. It's more the view, okay, how much can we squeeze out there and there and there and there? Because if you multiply it by 1.5 million per year, that's a big number. Mm. Yeah, But if you compare it. it to, oh, I have to mill it out of a block and someone's giving me a price and delivers the quality, has an open communication, that's the dream supplier for a company in the medical field. Yes. Mm. Yeah, that's quite interesting. I, I claim that the reason why to go for high mix, low volume is actually everything starts small. Uh, I was sitting in a project just the other week. Uh, it started pretty small. It, it's now using the capacity of six die casting machines. And mm. I still haven't figured out if that foundry have realized what kind of a luck they had because it was a one customer foundry from the beginning, the same customer okay. <clears throat> flying totally under the radar. Mm. Never heard about them, never met the customer, uh, non-automotive, non-telecom. I mean, it's a brilliant thing. I cannot spit out the name because that would be unfair. But these things happen from time to time. That It starts somewhere. And if everybody's rushing for, you know, a voice, you know, the electrical small stupid bicycles that people are using downtown Stockholm, at least. Mm. Imagine what, it would be just competition. So I think, and being that precise, like a surgeon and finding out the 100 companies, these are the two that I should focus everything on. I don't believe in that. You have to do a shotgun blast, hit 50 of them, try to see what kind of echo you get, and then actually work your way through it. It's it's like a lottery. You, you never win if you buy one ticket out of one million tickets. You have to buy several repeatedly, yep. constantly, with the air to the ground. So 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 again, I, I'm sorry for for listeners and and their Gunnar and their Fabian, but my biggest claim when when times are tough and when it's really worrying and you see black clouds, invest in someone new that you know, like a submarine captain, periscope up. What's happening? What can I do? What kind of customers are there? Go to another trade fair. Go to Electronica instead of Eurogas. See something different. Get some ideas. Uh, I think that's important. But uh, I also do think that you need to invest in your current customers. Not not only invest in in uh, machines, equipment, uh, know-how, but you need to invest in the relationship with them because uh, business is done person to person. And, and, and uh, if you have everything else the same, if you have a good relationship, that might be uh, the tipping factor, uh, the factor that makes you win the deal. If awesome. uh, a customer trusts you, they know that you keep your commitments, yeah, you probably get the business. I think mm. especially if there's some mishap happening and you're about to miss it, some delivery, if you have an open relationship and it's a trust, you call them say, hey, that happened i just found out i wanted to give you a heads up what can maybe you can think about what we can do and we have a meeting in the afternoon yep then that's something that even builds more trust even though something went wrong exactly 
So it's more like Japanese banking than a, a Turkish bazaar. <laughs> when the shit hits the fan, you need that relationship, right? Yeah, that's true. Yeah. You but had you... so many nice words and you need to take it down a couple of notches. <laughs> yeah, but you probably have to work on the problem and not go, just go for a drink and sing karaoke. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but I, 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 I'm a terrible singer. I tried in Tokyo. I, believe me, it, it wasn't too, it wasn't nice for the rest of the people. But they were pretty. But, but I, I need to tell you an anecdote, guys. Uh, I mean, that's about the relationship. Uh, I, I was in an annual negotiation uh, with one supplier, and just as we were about to start the negotiation, and we were go, going to present our facts on why they need to reduce the prices, etc pulls up something from, from his uh, pocket. And, and that's a button, a, a bullshit button. So when you press it, it says, that's bullshit. <laughs> and I mean, taking that up, the first thing you do at an annual negotiation, I, I think that was rather funny. I mean, I, I like it a lot. <laughs> when, when you can differentiate between the person and, and, and the position you're in. Yeah, but I kind of could guess who that was. Uh... <laughs> I would never ever do it in a meeting with the Daimler BMW or, or some, let's say, slightly I, it was not the first time I met, I met that key account. Uh, we have been working for many years. I, I have to admit that. You maybe don't yeah, get the job when you go to Mercedes Benz, but you're still you're known by everyone in the purchasing organization yes. yeah. one day after. <laughs> yeah, guys, uh, I think we can wrap it up because we we heard a lot of. Uh, Interesting stuff today. Uh, my ego grew a, li grew a little bit because I think uh, you kind of confirmed some things that we're stating in other uh, episodes, but a lot of new stuff. And uh, I think interesting was that the difference between automotive and telecom is probably a little bit more challenging than you might think if you're a founder. Yep. It's not it about is. selling uh, a discounted capacity because you get rid of uh, some... Uh, powertrain parts. It is about the speed, the flexibility, and, and, and also the culture and the openness, which is totally different as I understand it. It, uh, it, it is. And, and uh, I mean, it's also about the one-stop shop. You need to have one supplier taking care of everything, doing the die casting, uh, taking care of machining, taking care of the surface treatment. Mm. Within telecom, I don't want to engage with three different suppliers. I also have one interface taking the overall responsibility. Hmm. Comparison to automotive, then you would be something from the foundry side. You have to someone to keep in touch with you as a, as a purchaser to get the product ready in the time frame that's presented. And then also hmm. you need someone that's, let's say, building the path for the parts to go for heat treatment, surface treatment, or whatever else coming up. And it's not like an automotive just deliver the parts from address A to address B and then someone else will do something. Mm. Mm. And if you're lucky, you will beat them somewhere. Eurogas or... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I think then it's really interesting for the viewers that are more from the automotive side. Can you show us or outline the development of the telecom sector in general? Yeah, I, I think it's... Uh, I mean, if, if you look at the mobiles that we have and, and the data consumption that's growing a lot and and the number of subscribers are also growing so i mean the the factors behind the, the growth uh, are still there then uh, 
5G is rolling out or, or uh, has rolled out a lot in many different regions. Now it's more about capacity. And with the current financial turmoil, uh, I would say that uh, it's a bit challenging right now. But I, I do foresee that uh, the business will recover and, and uh, get back here uh, within a year or two. Mm -hmm. Perfect. So it's basically start your preparation process that you, if you have the first meeting, you have the right people and the right preparation done. Yes. And, and I mean, uh, if you start now, maybe you're a supplier a year or two from now and, and then the volumes start to increase again. That, that's a perfect start for a motivation pitch. So if you try to get into a new industry, start now. I think I said it before, but I love the Chinese quote. When is the best time to plant a tree? 20 years ago or today? <laughs> yep. Pillows true. <clears throat> Thank you very much for, for being with us today, Gunnar. Uh, Thank you for having me. Yeah, I appreciate it very much to, to get a glimpse of um, the differences between telecom and automotive. Um, actually, also growing our egos by confirming some things that we have said in earlier podcasts. and. Uh, As always, nice talking. Thank you. And likewise. Perfect. Thank you. Thank you Bye. for being here. And then see you soon in the next Gold Nugget. Yep. Goodbye. Thank you. Bye.